In March of 2022, our family was forced to evacuate from Ukraine. We have served as missionaries in Lviv for over 20 years, and now, like so many others, we find ourselves suddenly displaced from our home, our church, and our precious Ukrainian friends. But despite the shock of evacuation, God is opening doors and leading us step by step down this new path. Our purpose is to bless and minister to Ukrainians affected by the war. Come with us as we share our stories, striving to serve God, bless people, and praying that someday soon, this journey will lead us back to our beloved Ukraine. Hey everyone, Joshua and Kelsey here. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Journey to Ukraine podcast. Today is April 8th, 2022. And today we are excited to have a special guest with us. It's our eldest daughter, Abigail. Hi, guys. So glad I'm here. And Abby will be sharing with us a bit later in the episode. You might have noticed that it's been a while since we released an episode. Uh, there's actually been a lot going on and quite a bit of news that we have. But unfortunately, our family came down with the stomach virus for the second time. And we've really been having a hard time with that. And so we haven't been able to put together an episode, but we're here now. And today we'd actually like to talk to you about Josh's recent trip back to Lviv that he made. And also we're excited to hear from Abby later about her chance to minister to Ukrainian refugees at the border recently. Yeah, and before we dive into that, I just want to pause and say a big thank you to everyone for the great reviews that you've been leaving on the podcast. We noticed several new reviews on Apple Podcasts, and it's possible there are some other platforms out there as well that people have reviewed on, I'm not sure. Um, but thank you so much for those. They're an encouragement to us, but as we all know, they also kind of help to train the algorithms and um, bring the podcast higher up in search rankings and so forth. Um, so if you haven't yet done so, could you please take a moment and go out and leave us a review on the podcast platform where you're listening to this? That would be that would be a real encouragement, a big help. Also, if you have any questions or feedback, please send us a note via the contact form on our blog, and that's found at ofreport.com slash contact. And again, that address is of, as in Fred, report.com slash contact. So last time on the podcast, we had told you about a vehicle that we found and we were hoping to purchase. Uh, Joshua, what is the latest with our search for a van? Yeah, so we have some good news and some bad news here. The bad news is that the van we spoke about last time fell through. It was kind of a fluky situation. We were trying to get our documents together, and uh, someone came in over the weekend and just bought the van unexpectedly before we could get a contract on it, and so we weren't able to get it. So that's the bad news. The good news is that since we recorded our last episode, we found another van, and it's essentially the exact same van, the exact same model. I think it's even the same year, all the things that we wanted. And this time we were able to move more quickly. We have a contract on it. We actually wired the money yesterday. Um, we have an individual on the Slovakian side who's helping us with all of the documents and the red tape. Um, this is coming from a dealer in Germany. Um, we're told it's still going to take a bit of time uh, because the the wire transfer has to complete. Then we have to get a um, s some transportation to bring the van from Germany into Slovakia. Then it has to be registered under a Slovakian name and all these different things. So we're told it could be anywhere from two to four weeks before it's actually available to us to drive. But the good news is we are definitely um, in, in the process. We feel like this is going to be our van, and we're really excited. It looks to get like it. it will go through. Good. Well, we want to say a big thank you, just a heartfelt yes. thanks to No Greater Joy for putting out the word um, 
about doing a fundraiser essentially for our family to be able to get this van and also to everyone who has donated towards the van. Um, we're just very, very grateful to all of you for that. God has just been blessing us in that way and, and we're, we're beyond grateful. Yes, absolutely. Big, big thank you to everyone. So Joshua, you had a pretty exciting week uh, traveling back to Lviv for a few days. Um, you did come back safe and sound here. Yep. So tell us about your trip. Yeah, so uh, it was exciting. It all ended well. God was faithful. Um, but there were some interesting points, and I'd like to share those with you now. Um, the trip was supposed to last four, maybe five days, but uh, it ended up being closer to a week. I left on Saturday morning, March 26th, and I actually drove north through Poland this time, uh, which ended up being a more direct route than the one we evacuated through on the 1st of March. Um, on the way, I had some minor car trouble, but praise the Lord, I was able to get that repaired. My first stop was in the Polish town of Zeszów, which is only about an hour uh, inside the border of Poland or, or away from the, the uh, Ukrainian border there. And um, I went to see my friend uh, Ruslan. We've, we've been good friends for many, many years. I lived with him in the very early years when I first came to Ukraine. He's part of our church. And Ruslan is in Jeshuv because he's been working as a translator and they were transferred there uh, when the war began. But Ruslan's wife Tanya and their kids are still in Lviv. So I was headed to meet with him. My plan was to stop in for a couple of hours, say hi, pick up some things that he had to send on to Tanya, and then I was going to move on into Ukraine. But as I was driving through Poland, um, the Russians attacked Lviv again with two different missile strikes. And one of those strikes hit a fuel storage facility that's located right next to a big hardware store called Epicenter. And this is a place that our family shops quite frequently. Mm -hmm. um, and this is not the outskirts of town. This is not the suburbs. This is right in Lviv proper. It's only about two miles from our home in Lviv. And it is a little more than a stone's throw from Ruslan's family's home. In fact, Tanya and the kids felt the shockwave in their building mm -hmm. and they could see the explosion from their window. So very sobering stuff. Um, he must have been quite anxious about them at that point. He was. Uh, I remember getting the the notification on my phone as I was still driving to to where he was, and I was. I think I asked him like where if he knew any details about where where the hit was, and he told me it was like not very far from their house. Um, as a side note, some of you may be aware that the Ukrainian government has asked people not to post details about missile strikes when they occur, and this is so as not to give away valuable intel to the Russians. However, in this particular case, uh, this strike is nearly two weeks old, and there are photos and videos widely available online, so I feel like at this point there's uh, no problem with sharing about it. Anyway, I got to Ruslan's place that evening. Um, we enjoyed some good fellowship, but it was, of course, overshadowed by the somber reality of what was happening in Lviv at that time, and certainly, um, you know, the very real danger to his family. I took him out to a steak restaurant. It was really nice, but it was it was sort of surreal because we sat there in the steak restaurant pretty silently just looking at our phones, looking at Telegram, looking for updates, and thinking, at least I know I was thinking the whole time of the... I don't know the, if the, what the right word is, the irony or the paradox of here we were enjoying this nice steak and at the same time Ruslan's family was in Lviv um, less than less than half a mile from where a ballistic missile had just struck. Mm, right. Um, and there was nothing that either of us could do about that, but it was serious and it was concerning. 
So because of that development, um, I decided to go ahead and stay the night with Ruslan and go into Lviv the next morning. Um, I didn't want to rush to Lviv only to sit in a bomb shelter all night. <laughs> For sure. So um, anyway, I went ahead and stayed the night there, got up around four, four in the morning. We packed a bunch of things for Ruslan's family into the van. I was on the road by 5 a.m. And happily, the rest of the trip was uneventful. The border crossing was quick. And I, I made it to my house, to our house there in Lviv by around eight or nine in the morning. And that was also an odd feeling, just kind of showing up at my house after being gone for a month under, under these circumstances and knocking on the door and being admitted by strangers. Mm, um, yeah. But they were great folks. Um, this is a family that's from Odessa that's staying in our house. In fact, Abby, our daughter, met them, I think it was last year at a summer camp when she was in Odessa. Um, I really enjoyed getting to know them. And uh, we just ask you to pray for their family. Uh, the parents' names are Hori Hori and Natasha, or like Gregory and Natasha. And just like our family, they have been displaced by the war. In fact, we were kind of joking that our families have just sort of like been been uh you know bumped one slot down the track you know they went they went, they got bumped from odessa to lviv we got bumped from lviv to slovakia i don't think we bumped anybody out here <laughs> but That's what um, i was wondering anyway you know they're they're in a similar boat to where we are they're in a strange place they're not in their home the fate of odessa is still very much in question so um uh, we're glad that that they're able to be in our home right now and that we're able to provide that for them. Um, that morning we went together to church at our church in Lviv, and I was able to preach the the message there the, on the Sunday morning. And the next few days were spent just handling some documents, uh, visiting people, friends. I was able to pass along several donations that I brought with me. Um, a quick note about PayPal, um, if you're not aware, and this is something that I was sharing with many of my Ukrainian friends, PayPal, which is a service that we've used for many years, has historically only been available to Ukrainians as a way to send money. They've not they've not ever been able to receive funds like donations or other payments through PayPal. But since the war started, PayPal has not only opened their service up to Ukrainians to receive funds, they've also for the time being waived all the fees. So all that to say, if you know someone who's a Ukrainian citizen and you want to send them money, if they can open a PayPal account, you can send funds directly to them without any extra fees or charges, they'll get the full amount, albeit in their local currency, and then they can connect their bank card, transfer those funds to their bank account, and it makes it really easy mm -hmm. to get uh, to get finances to Ukrainians who are in need. So Very good. Um, I'm going to leave some links to that in the show notes. Um, if you have questions about it, certainly uh, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, we've been able to get several of our Ukrainian friends signed up for PayPal, and we're excited about being able to more easily uh, bless them with funds. Um, now, one of the main purposes of my trip was to bring more things back uh, out from our home that we were not able to get the first time we left, uh, including ministry supplies. So I brought back in the van everything from clothing to vitamins and supplements. I brought my guitar, a coffee machine. Uh, I got over 200 copies of Good and Evil over here, and we're excited about being able to start handing those out. Um, I also want to say a big thank you to Ruslan's wife, Tanya. Um, because of her efforts to get our dog Macy's shots and documents in order, we were able to bring Macy back across the border into Slovakia, and she's now been re reunited with our family. That was a big, a big happy time. The kids were excited to see her. Yeah, it felt good. Like our home was more complete with her back. Right. And uh, so anyway, after my time in Lviv, I left, uh, finally left Friday morning with the van packed. Um, left for Slovakia, and I was able to bring out one Ukrainian lady. Um, it was a lady named Oksana. She's a co-worker of one of the pastors at our church, and she needed to get to visit her family who live in Krakow. 
Um, so she rode out with me. I dropped her off at her home uh, just north of Krakow and then traveled south into Slovakia. And somehow I, I picked the wrong route on my GPS and got onto quite the intense uh, mountain path. I felt like I was on my way to Dracula's castle. <laughs> I, mean, I was literally up in the mountains, very narrow road, blowing snow, kind of a white knuckle experience. Um, but happily, God preserved me and uh, protected me, and I was able to get home safely to the family Friday night, and um, all, all was good. So thank you to everyone who was praying for me during that whole trip. It all went well, and it was a blessing uh, in many, many ways. It was a very joyful reunion, having everybody back together again. So I'm anxious to hear from our special guest today. Abby, you have had a really big week as well. I'll just start by explaining that our missionary friends, Zach and Kim, who live here in Jelena, um, Zach has contact with a group who helps with the humanitarian aid at the border. And he was putting together a team last week to go down to the border or up to the border. I'm not sure, over to the border. And Abby ended up being one of the team members that uh, went with him. So Abby, tell us about your experience. What was it like being at the border? Hello. I wanted to start by stating how privileged I feel to be sharing my story with you today, to be permitted a voice here with my parents, especially given that I've never spoken to a large audience like this before. I'm really grateful. Uh, the border crossing where we were is called Nizhne Nemeske in the city of Mikulovce. Our team was just five people. It was Zach Shepperson, a guy named Alex, uh, two Ukrainian kids named Eldar and Masha, and myself. As you'll hear later, I made a friend in Masha. I really enjoyed speaking to her in Ukrainian. That was a great opportunity. Uh, so now I'm going to tell you about the basic proceedings. After dinner at around five o'clock, we would drive to the border from our Airbnb slash guest house that we rented uh, in this pretty village on a lake in the town of Mikulovce. Uh We would pray. We would have a time of prayer in the car on the way. Um, we, we arrived um, at this collection of tents just outside the uh, passport control where people were showing their passports uh, we would be received in one of the in one of the supply tents and there we were given uniforms tags uh, some basic instructions and then we were positioned at our respective posts uh, we were in different places I teamed with Zach to take the bus line higher up on a hill and uh, the others stayed stayed behind in in a smaller tent, seeing a, a line of cars and pedestrians. Our job was to serve people refreshments like tea and snacks, as well as other products the whole night long. We worked 12-hour shifts, so we worked from 8 o'clock in the evening to 8 o'clock in the morning. And we didn't get much sleep, but yeah. <laughs> that was part of the adventure. Yep. We were, uh, Zach and I were amazed by the people's reluctance to alight from the buses in the first place. We had to haul smaller boxes of products onto the buses during their procedures and pass them out in the aisles like flight attendants. Some people refused even then to accept charity, but many at this point acknowledged how truly tired and hungry and short on supplies they really were. We had little trouble then in ridding our hands of piles of sandwiches, water bottles, snack bars, etc. Disinfectant wipes. People need these things when they're traveling. 
Uh, so I could tell you about our Airbnb, but that would be boring. Instead, I'm going to tell you about... <laughs> so the what, Airbnb is where you stayed when you weren't serving at the when border. When we weren't serving. Okay. On the border where we were serving, I'm going to tell you about what we called the luxury hotel. Uh, we had this tent uh, where our table was erected with the display of products. Uh, and we had this... Inside the tent, we had boxes of uh, supplies. We also had this awesome gas heater. And so we called it a toaster and the air was nice and warm. <laughs> and these nights were cold. It gets cold at night. I was wearing I was wearing my hiking pants. And then underneath my hiking pants, I had tights on. And then I had tennis shoes on over my socks, over my tights. And I was still cold. Wow. <laughs> and your coat. And, and my too. coat. Yeah. I, I put my coat on several times and my coat and my hat. But it was cold. Uh, here I'm going to venture a bit of a perspective question for you who are listening what's the narrowest bed any one of you has ever slept on at any given time mine was a plank slash bench about seven inches wide i measured it with my fingers well it's a good uh, thing you're thin abby <laughs> <laughs> the second night on the border i dozed maybe an hour in this toaster but it wasn't as if I didn't have all the time in the world to sleep. I mean, it was another way. Another way to put it would be I slept as much as I could for having slept almost all of the previous day. That's why I had time to think about how wide my bed was. <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you think your favorite part was about the trip? The best part of the trip for me was simply being part of the team. Zach and me together at the bus line, the rest of us together at the guest house in Mikulose. Just the atmosphere of togetherness and the sense of achieving an end by means of teamwork inspires motivation in a person. It also offers multiple sides to the story and multiple angles. Masha and Eldar were troopers, especially seeing much heavier traffic in general than we did at than we did at the bus line. They they had the cars and the pedestrians. Um, during free moments, they would steal up to the hill, up the hill to the gate that separated our two stations and they would pay me and Zach a visit and we just sit there literally for hours just telling stories at whatever three in the morning. Nice. Well, it sounds like you really formed great relationships with your team and I know that was something we were praying for while you were gone. Um, I know you came back with some stories, some interesting stories about people. Can you tell, can you share maybe one of those stories with our podcast listeners? Yes. The story that resonated most vividly with me Actually, Masha told me, since she was present in the tent and I wasn't, uh, this was the pedestrian line, um, a middle-aged woman was trying to reach her son in another city, Masha said, and the soldiers searched every piece of her luggage on account of the fact that she carried herself in a visibly abnormal manner, like a drunken person or drugged person, totally not in her right mind. You'll all probably understand me when I say this, considering I can in no wise speak from personal experience. It continues to astound me, the measures that people will take in times of extreme desperation. This lady was, in fact, on drugs. She had been diagnosed with stage three cancer beyond curing, Masha told me, so she was on medications all the time. I didn't catch enough details to be able to repeat where she came from, but against all odds, this woman traveled on foot to the border over the course of a number of days. She would hide in the daytime from getting shelled in air raids, Masha said, and travel by night. 
She described the woman's hands as ruddy with cold, red. She was carrying a kitten under one arm, dragged all the way across the country from wherever she evacuated. It's hard to believe how attached a person can become with an animal. Even even in a situation like this, just the things they place value on. Mm. Any help offered by the volunteers was apparently angrily resisted she was hmm. she was out of her mind mm-hmm. she wasn't she wasn't thinking straight so these are the kind of people that we pray for that we that we ask for we ask for special grace for for them uh mm-hmm. we you, it's hard to believe and without christ without christ the things you you know, it's sad. It's you. just, yeah. it's just so sad. You can't, you can't make it without Christ. And um, these are the kinds of people that we are praying for. That we we ask for a special grace in their lives, and that they would come to know Christ. We know that without God, nothing is possible, and that with God, all things are possible. And uh, like he says in. Psalm 68, verses 4 and 5, a father of the fatherless and a judge of widows is God in his holy habitation. God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. I read that verse this morning and it reminded me of this type of situation. Like, well, like God did, says, you did have an opportunity to. Sounds like share Christ this week. Um, I heard about you getting to sign someone up for your for Bible First, and I wondered if you could tell a little bit about that as well. A friend that you you were able to sign up for the Bible First course. Yes, we did have a um, a strange. Uh, like a uh, well, a mishap really. Uh, we were disappointed one night. Um, we came to the border to be turned away. Well, pretty much turned away. We found ourselves replaced by a number of other volunteers. We we were we weren't needed that night, and it was a shock to us. So we ended up going home. Long story short, and sleeping that night. And the next day, we worked. A day shift, and it came about um, this Protestant pastor, or Zach was able to contact, invited us to another camp in Mikulovce, mm-hmm. a much bigger humanitarian aid center where we were able to work uh, a day shift, where we were invited to work a day shift from like breakfast time to dinner time. So we, same. Same proceedings, we got our uniforms, we got our, you know, we gave the necessary information and then we, uh, we got, we got our posts and it was this big, it was this big dining hall that we got, that we got placed in. I was in, um, I was in a food line, a big buffet, um, and we, we were serving, we were serving plates to people, uh, and right next to me this girl, Rika, from Japan. Hmm. She and I were working side by side all day. So we uh, we got to talking and we struck up a friendship. 
And then all of a sudden I had the fabulous idea to uh, invite her to sign up for our Bible first course. So I called my dad and he walked me through the steps. Because she had a smartphone. Because she did. Of course she had a smartphone and, uh, and I got her signed up and she seemed pretty excited about going through the lessons. So you just asked her and she said, sure, I'd love to, or, or how did that go? Well, we had been talking for quite a while and I had been telling her some stories about our family. And then I mentioned Bible first and she seemed interested. And I asked her if she would like to take the course. And she said, she seemed very, she seemed thrilled by the idea. So. Well, and I believe now that she's signed up, we've also assigned you as her coach. So you guys will presumably be going through together. That is true. I get to be her coach. uh, And also I exchanged email with her so we can keep corresponding that way as well. I thought it was neat that an American girl meets a Japanese girl in Slovakia, uh, all because of a war in Ukraine and how God can bring people together and you know, allow them to meet when that's needed. So yeah, we were we were laughing and we were uh, thankful that there was a language at least we could communicate. We we could communicate in English, but it really was a mix up of languages. There were, it was three of us really. Masha was there too, so it was a Ukrainian speaking English and a and a Japanese girl speaking English and an American girl speaking English in Slovakia. <laughs> yeah, of all places. Yeah. Yes. Well, any last thoughts you have about your time at the border? That you want to share? Only that I'm grateful to be able to serve people in need in a foreign country, really. It's a privilege. As much as we know God, as much as we miss home, we know God has us here for a purpose. As it says That's in Romans, right. all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So are you glad you went? I would go again in a heartbeat. Awesome. <laughs> Well, Abby, thanks for sharing that. That was really interesting. Um, So, Kelsey, uh, while Abby and I have been gallivanting around the countryside, I know you were fighting your own battles here at home in Jelena, and that's been tough. So why don't you share with us a little bit about what you and the kids were facing? Yeah, sure. Well, the battle that I've been fighting has been uh, with sickness. And as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, we got the stomach bug for the second time. And I have, I've kind of been, I don't know, affectionately dubbed it an evil disease, like from the Psalms. <laughs> that it is. <laughs> an evil disease that cleaveth fast unto me. And it just seems like we haven't been able to get rid of it. Mm. Um, I felt like I had dubbing rights. After all I went through during the week, Josh was gone. Call it what I would. But in actuality, I've been told that it's probably rotavirus. And we've heard of a lot of people saying, oh, yeah, that's going around. I know a lot of people with it. Or even Ukrainians wrote me saying they had it. Mm. Um, So it has worn me pretty thin just being the only adult while Josh was gone that Monday to Friday. um, Mia came down with it first. And it's the kind of bug, or at least in our case, it has manifested such that one person gets it and is almost fully recovered. And you kind of think, oh, maybe that was a fluke, or it's not the tummy bug. We're we're not all destined to suffer from this. And just as I thought we were going to be fine, then the next kid came down with it. And But Mia had been very, very sick, just very, very weak, very debilitated. It took her a long time to want to eat again. And of course, as a mom, you know, handling the anxiety for your little ones and going through all of that was just a challenge. Um, 
shortly after Joshua got home, then I got sick with it. And the bright side of that was just that he and Abby did make it home in time to, you know, be here and, and be able to help and take my place uh, to some extent. And so it's just been a tough time for our family. We're wanting to get going with more exciting things. And yet we've really been kind of taken down by this. Um, if you can imagine being in a foreign country where you don't understand the language and you don't really know how to do your shopping and also being in the middle of a move. We had boxes and boxes in our house from furniture we had ordered that hadn't been assembled or things Joshua brought back from Lviv and just lots of lots of disorder on many, many levels. And then in the middle of that, we were horribly ill. And so that's what it's been like for us, just trying to navigate all of that. Uh, the current status is that Rebecca and Hosanna are struggling through the sickness. And I think Hosanna has mostly kind of is coming out of it. So once the tummy ailment goes away, then you kind of feel all weak and it just takes several days to, to get your strength back and actually be eating again and all that. And that's where she is. Um, and Rebecca's case hasn't seemed as bad. We're still watching that, but we're praying for Abby and Joshua who have not yet had it. So if you would join with us in praying for them, we do not want them to get sick, of course. Um, and pray, so pray that God would deliver us from any further sickness and just that he would renew our strength. I, In particular, for me, I think it's really just got me down. So our family is also in pretty good need of some a, a restoration of order and routine, and we've not really been able to, to gain that because we've been thrown off by these trips and sickness and all of that. So um, so we would inc be encouraged to know that you're praying for us, and um, and that would be great. I have actually been reading in First Peter the last few days, and that has done a lot to encourage me. First uh, Peter, as you probably know, does talk a lot about suffering. And so one of the reminders to me that has been poignant in that passage is a verse where God says that if when we suffer, we take it patiently— that this is acceptable with God. Mm. And that's yeah. been a good reminder to me Amen. that I need to be exercised in patience. Um, <laughs> <Don't we> <laughs> and that's much easier said than done, but God does bring beauty out of these these ashes. Yeah. Moving on, it has been quite a while since we gave a news synopsis from this side of the ocean, our vantage point on the Ukraine war and what is going on. So Joshua, what do you have for us there? Yeah, so I'd just like to mention a few highlights, uh, as Kelsey said, kind of from our vantage point or our corner of the of the war, if you will. Uh, and I also want to share with you some of our favorite news sources in case you're interested in looking into those. So as I'm sure you know, the war in Ukraine continues to be the dominant news story worldwide. And as such, it, uh, in my view, generates this incredibly large wall of information. It's just impossible no matter who you are or where you are or what context you have. It's just impossible to wrap your head around everything that's being that's being put out there. And sadly, as we know, there's also a lot of disinformation that's being spread around. So please be careful what you read, what you share. Um, not everything, not everything that glitters is gold, as they say. Um, and you know, as I've said before, I think that consuming news as an aggregate of multiple sources is one of the best ways to minimize disinformation and fakes. If you see a sensational story or something, check it and see if you know. Look at some other sources and see if you can corroborate those facts. Um, of course, the big news that most people are talking about right now is the horrible, horrible Russian atrocities and war crimes, which are now coming to light in cities like Bucha and Irpin, Hostomal. Those are areas north of Kiev. 
Um, and we can only imagine what is yet to be exposed in the occupied areas in cities like Mariupol and uh, Kherson. And, you know, as, mm-hmm. as so many others have pointed out, there's just no words to adequately describe the grief and suffering that are now being felt by so many here in Ukraine um, as they learn the fate of their friends and their loved ones, um, as we see some of these horrendous images coming out of people with their hands bound behind their backs and having been shot in the head and all of this, the mass graves. Um, those things are dark and they're terrible. But what we can say is that these horrors remind us why we look to God and not to man for safety. Men, no matter how noble or strong they may be, have no power over death. That's why it's so so terrible and so hopeless because no matter how hard you fight or how much you prepare, if a loved one is killed, then from the world's perspective, at least, that's it. That's the end. We can't Mm -hmm. bring them back. But we know as believers that Christ has conquered death. And I think that's critical for us to understand and to share with others that when we know the Lord, death is not the end. And I just wanted, as a reminder, quickly to read this passage that came to my mind as I was reading these various news stories, and that is 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 58, which says this, So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And I would say for our family, at least, that last phrase is one that describes our our presence here, our desire uh, in being in remaining here in Eastern Europe is that we would always be abounding in the work of the Lord to minister to Ukrainians like Abby did on the border or to bring the gospel to them, mm-hmm. uh, to minister to each other um, as a family um, and not to be weary in well-doing. So a couple of other minor points here, more focusing on Lviv. As I've said, there have been missile strikes in Lviv, and that's that's tragic. It's unfortunate. Uh, happily, the strike that I mentioned, which landed near the Epicenter um, uh, hardware store there, did not result in any deaths. Uh, last I heard, there were five uh, casualties, so five people injured, but no deaths. So that was a blessing. And I would say that despite all that, the city on the whole remains comparably safe. There are no Russian troops anywhere close. Um, Lviv continues to function more like a base of operations uh, for sending aid to areas in the east as well as housing so-called IDPs, if you've seen that term in the news, which stands for internally displaced persons. So these are people who have not had who have not fully fled Ukraine, but they may have had to flee from one city in Ukraine, maybe in the east, to a, a, perhaps a western city like Lviv. Um, there is quite a lot of humanitarian aid, uh, food, clothing, basic staples that is continuing to flow freely into the country at very high volumes, so much so that some volunteers I spoke with during my trip in Lviv uh, expressed some frustration at trying to find a place to bring their humanitarian aid to without being turned away. There were people mm-hmm. saying, yeah, sorry, don't bring that truck here because we we can't take it. We have all we need. Um, so while that's heartening, uh, I think it is good to stress that there are still very great needs. And sometimes it may take a bit more homework to find how best to give. Uh, it may take some study 
um, uh, or some checking to know where what areas have the greatest needs. But make no mistake, Ukraine continues to have very great needs in the areas of humanitarian aid, um, weaponry, other things. And so mm. um, certainly, n- you know, we, we can't provide tanks and planes, um, but uh, we're very grateful for those who are providing uh, the food, the clothing and things like that, the medical supplies. Um, also of note is that they are now building new temporary housing units in Lviv. These are, they call these mistechkos or like, it's like the word that means like a little city, but these are little kind of housing facilities that are being put up quickly to help uh, provide shelter for all of these people that have evacuated from the east and are now living uh, in Lviv. So that's encouraging to see. I also wanted to mention uh, that the rumored Belarusian offensive that some of you may have heard about that was feared from the north, which could have come pretty quickly to Lviv, um, that has not materialized. And when we take into consideration the massive Russian defeats around Kyiv and Chernihiv and Sumy and other cities, um, it doesn't seem likely that they will be able to mount any kind of ground offensive in the West for the foreseeable future. So that's that's good news, and we're encouraged. And the more we look back across the border towards our home in Lviv, um, and we consider all of the circumstances that are going on, the more we are encouraged and have hope that the day will come, perhaps in the not-too-distant future, when it will be safe for us to return. So um, in wrapping this part up, I just wanted to mention a couple of news sources. I know a lot of people maybe are interested, like, where's the where's the best place to get reliable news? Um, we actually do uh, look to major news outlets like Fox and Drudge and things like that to, you know, to get like big overview pictures and things. There, there are, in fact, I believe when the missile strikes happened in Epicenter, um, I first read that news on Fox mm-hmm. uh, as I was driving through. I saw an alert or someone's forwarded me an alert. Um, as I was driving through Poland, um, another another major source for me of good, real, I feel like is reliable news are a collection of Telegram channels that I watch, and some of these are in English, some of them are in Ukrainian. Um, but uh, Telegram channels each have a link that you can click to join the channel, and then it's it sort of works like a Twitter feed or something where you'll continue to get updates on that channel. So I'm going to leave links in the show notes to several channels that I follow, which I think provide uh, some valuable news. Another one is a site called SOF News, um, and they have an email newsletter that they put out almost daily with like a military synopsis or an overview of the war in Ukraine. And I subscribed to that recently, and I found it to be very insightful. Uh, Sometimes it provides too much information, more than I'm interested in reading. But um, if you're interested to know what's going uh, going on on the ground from an operational perspective, the SOF News newsletter is a really good one, so I'll leave a link to that as well. Um, other sources that we have are some of the signal groups that I'm a part of, that, and that's connected with evacuation work. A and lot again, of those. Signal is a, is a chat platform. <clears throat> right. Signal is a chat platform like Telegram. It tends to be preferred amongst um, military folks or the evac groups because it's more secure. Um, but a lot of the groups that I've joined in connection with my evacuation work, there are people like me who are providing remote work, but there are also people who are on the ground in some very hot spots, and they post uh, a lot of updates um, that, that are interesting to know. Those groups tend to be closed or invite only. Um, but nonetheless, that's a, that's a source that we get some of our information from. And then of course, personal contacts on the ground. Um, I have people, friends that I know that post on Facebook or that I can call and just say, Hey, um, did you see anything out your window? Did, is there an air alarm going on right now? Um, so all of those combined, I feel like gives us a a pretty decent, uh, picture going forward of, uh, of what's going on. And, uh, like I said, I'll, I'll try to leave links to some of those uh, in the show notes. Okay, so with that, I'm going to move right into a couple of prayer requests here. 
First of all, uh, one thing we haven't mentioned yet is that we are planning another trip to Lviv. We recently learned that the immigration office in Lviv has now reopened, and this has opened the door for us to complete our residency process or the, the, the registration for our temporary residency permits that had been stalled around the time that we had to evacuate. So... On Sunday morning, I believe is what we're planning now, Sunday morning, Kelsey and I will be traveling back to Lviv just for a couple of days, really even, I think, just one night, um, enough to go to this government office and submit the final paperwork so that hopefully we can finish out our temporary residency permits. And the girls will be staying behind here in Jelina with some with some friends. We feel like if we wait, we might lose our opportunity yes. to renew these documents while we still have this visa because it, it's going to expire, what, middle of April? or uh, Yes, April 16th or 17th, right. I think. So and, our um, time is really ticking. Yeah. And if we can get these residency permits locked in, that will kind of give us uh, a dispensation of grace for a whole year where we can come in and out of mm-hmm. the country freely depending on how the situation develops. So anyway, pray for us as we travel again to Lviv that just that all of that would go well and that we would that it would be safe and that the kids would be safe as they remain behind. Um, please keep praying for our van purchase. As I said, we're, we feel pretty good about this particular van that we're, you know, we're locked in. We've, we better be, we've paid the money. Um, but there's still a lot of steps and registration and red tape. So please keep praying that all of that will, will go well. Um, also, please pray for direction regarding residency for our family in Slovakia. As we've mentioned before, you typically have a 90-day window um, if you just come to the European Union as a, as a tourist or whatever. And if we're going to remain in the region and be able to continue ministering to Ukrainians and things, we need to be able to overcome that 90-day limit and stay longer in Slovakia. So we've got some good leads. We've, we're learning some good information, but there are still a lot of question marks about that. So pray that God would just open doors for our family and give us direction about how we can best remain in Eastern Europe close to Ukraine and to the people that we want to be ministering to. Of course, as Kelsey was talking about earlier, please keep praying for our health. We've had two full rounds of the stomach virus uh, since we've been in Slovakia, and that is not fun. So pray for health for our family. Um, Pray that God would continue to open doors for our family to bless and minister to the Ukrainians who have been displaced to minister to them both in a humanitarian aid um, context, and also, of course, to bring the gospel to them. This is a time, I think, when many people are more open to the Lord, when they're thinking about their eternity. You can't watch these pictures that are coming out of, of Bucha and Irpin, of all this death, without thinking about your turn, without thinking about mm-hmm. where you're going to be in eternity when it's all over. Um, and all of us know intuitively that the time will come when we'll stand uh, before God. And uh, so we want to we want to really... Um, take advantage of this opportunity to share Christ with people as we can. And lastly, just pray for peace and liberty in Ukraine. All right, well, that is everything for this episode. We want to say again how grateful we are to all of you who are praying for us and supporting us financially. We have been amazed and overwhelmed by your generosity, and we are so, so grateful. Um, we're not able to answer every email and text personally. We just can't keep up with all of the the influx of information. But we want you to know that we do receive everything that you send. We're very grateful for that. Um, as a reminder, one more time, please remember to share this podcast with your friends as you're able and social media. Give us, a, give us a review if you can. Have an awesome day. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Slava Ukraini! Heroiam Slava! Slava!